Hello and welcome to the Monroe Method Clancast. I am, as ever, Jason Monroe, and this, I believe, is episode 12. Pretty sure it's episode 12. I should probably check that first. I'm sure it is. Um, I'm a bit late in posting this. I had a super fun, action-packed weekend with my two sons at my in-laws' caravan. My wife had a big night out on Saturday night, so I went off up there for the night. Lots of fishing, lots of scatch. Do you remember scatch? You know, the gloves with the Velcro on them that you throw the ball and catch? And lots of other fun things as well. So, I'm a little bit late in posting this. But here we are. There was a very good question in the group. Um, and it's probably a topic that needs to be discussed. And it ties in nicely with a conversation I had elsewhere on the topic of medication and weight gain. So, the question I was asked in the group, if I can just get up again was podcast po- Sally podcast question do genetics play a role in weight loss stroke fat loss um my immediate answer to this was going to be no but that's ridiculous because the question you've asked is do they play a role so yes they play a role are they directly responsible for fat loss or fat gain or weight management No, not directly. Indirectly, yes. So if we talk about obesity, right? Obesity is when there are genetic... What's what's the term? This is kind of getting beyond my my kind of area of expertise, right? But it's when there are gene changes to certain genes uh, in the body that change the way our body regulates itself, okay? So, obesity is the result of a chronic energy imbalance in a person who consistently takes in more energy from food and or drink than their body needs to fuel itself okay they gain weight the exact same way as the rest of us do the problem when it comes to obesity is in that instance i don't know why i've kind of honed in on obesity here but because we're talking about genetics this is what i think of when i think of uh, genetics and weight gain or weight loss i always kind of lean towards I, i think of the obese population because they they regulate themselves differently, right? So if we think about how genes control energy balance, the brain, our brain, regulates our food intake by responding to signals in the body, okay? Received from fat, the pancreas, the digestive tract. And these signals are transmitted via our hormones, okay? That's what hormones do. So when we think of hormones around nutrition, we think of leptin, insulin, ghrelin, and I think there's other things involved as well. But again, that's getting beyond my area of expertise. So the brain coordinates all of these signals with other things that are feeding it information, and then it sends instructions to the body. We need this, so now would be a good time to eat. We don't need any more of this, so now would be a good time to stop eating. That's what we're talking about when we talk about, um, you know, like hunger and satiety. So when we're talking about leptin and ghrelin, 
leptin is a hormone that decreases your appetite. Ghrelin is a hormone that increases your appetite, okay? And these are supposed to work in conjunction with one another to help us achieve uh, a kind of equilibrium, if you will, with our energy levels. Now, in people with obesity, these these kind of these regulation they, they don't, people with obesity don't regulate their body weight in the same way there are imbalances okay there are they are genetically driven to consume more than they need they don't regulate themselves the same way as people who don't have obesity who, who don't have these particular genes that uh, lead them to to want to consume more so this is what I'm talking about when I say that genetics are not directly involved. Try to decide if that's a correct thing to say. Yes, they're not directly involved. Your genetics are not just making body fat magically appear. Genetics are not making it. They're not directly stopping you from losing fat. However, indirectly through the behaviours that they encourage and the things that they encourage. But your genes are not your destiny. So so here's an example, right? We live in an obesogenic environment. We have 24-7-365 access to food. Shops are open for 24 hours. McDonald's are open for 24 hours. Shops are open seven days a week. You are never more than a 10-minute walk, depending on where you live, I suppose. But you you are never too far from somewhere to buy food or to go and eat out or to take away, right? We could eat all day, every day, if we so wished. Part of A large part of what I do with the people I work with is I help them achieve balance with their nutrition, Okay, let's take genetics out of the equation for the moment. And let's just think of the population as a whole, right? So in the UK, I believe at the moment it's something like 63 or 68, I can't remember. 63 or 68% of adults in the UK are overweight or obese. Now, for me, a large part of that is that people simply don't know how to eat. There are far too many different diets out there. There is far too much conflicting information out there. People just do not know what's best for them, what's not, what they should be doing, what they shouldn't. It's a minefield, you know, and it's it's what I spend all day, every day, helping people overcome, helping educate them and teach them and bring balance to their diet. Now, let's just take a person who has a low quality diet it lacks protein, it lacks fiber, they don't have particularly good sleeping habits, they're not pre- they're not relatively active. Um, and yeah, they're hungry a lot because of their low quality diet and they are gaining weight. Because there's a difference between someone who has, let's say that I burn I'm burning 2500 calories a day. Now, that sounds like plenty of calories. You might think that sounds like loads to get by on, but that's how much I specifically need, roughly. 
Now, if I had a diet that was very low in protein and very low in fiber, uh, maybe if I didn't have structured meal times, maybe I was someone that tended to snack quite a lot, I might never reach a point during the day of feeling full or feeling satisfied. And if I do feel full, it will be from the fact that I've consumed enough volume of food to feel temporarily full at the time. So eating a big lunch, for example, you know, fullness, physical fullness is not the same as satiety. So, you know, physically, physical fullness is a very short term thing, as in I am eating my lunch and now my tummy is full. Satiety is more thinking about the how satiating that meal is in the long term. Yes, you feel full just now, but are you still going to feel that way in an hour, two hours, three hours? If you're finding yourself hungry 30 minutes or an hour after eating a meal, then it was probably an, a, a low quality, unsatisfying meal. And then that might mean that I then eat half an hour later or an hour later and then I start stacking and then it's dinner time. And by the end of the day, a person that needed 2,500 calories who has been responding to their hunger all day now has finished the day eating 3,500 calories. Now, if we introduce these genetic variations that people who experience obesity have, now, I'm already over-consuming. You know, if we just think of, of someone who's otherwise healthy, doesn't have anything influencing the way that they want to eat or their hunger levels or, or fullness levels, but I'm over-consuming because of my balance of nutrition. Now, if we introduce these genetic changes that people with obesity have, then it's it's like amplifying what's already happening. So I'm already over-consuming because of my poor diet, my nutritionally poor diet. Now we introduce some genetic changes that make me even hungrier and uh, less likely to feel full or full for very long. All that happens then is the calorie consumption is scaled up the way. It's amplified. So now it's not 3,500 calories I'm having, it's 4,500 calories. So your genes are not your destiny. There isn't anything we can do about your, your genes, right? We can't change anything about you genetically. But knowing that your genes are not directly controlling what your weight does means that there is room for you to make changes. There is room for you to get involved in the process. And we can strip it right back to the basics. If you are someone that has issues with, you know, persistent hunger or feeling intense hunger or frequent hunger, then this is one of those situations where I'm always talking about coming up with solutions to problems that you don't have. Reaching for snacky foods, like, oh, I'm not very, oh, I'm feeling a little bit hungry, so I'll just have a packet of crisps. A packet of crisps does not touch the sides. Nobody has ever had a packet of crisps, sat back and said, fuck me, I am stuffed after that bag of walkers. Nobody does that because that's not what crisps do. Crisps add, they're great and they should absolutely be enjoyed as part of the balance of a diet. 
But if you are hungry, eating a packet of crisps, uh, it's like trying to eat fresh air. Except it contains 132 calories or whatever it is, depending on the crisps. So, coming back to what the question was, do genetics play a part or play a role? Yes, they do. But your genes are not your destiny. There are countless things that you can do to help you regulate your weight if genes are a factor. By focusing on having protein with every meal, ensuring that you are consuming a, a, a higher quality diet, rich in protein and rich in fiber. Listen, it could be something as simple as introducing a daily protein shake, like an afternoon snack, a substantial afternoon snack. One of the things I am going to do, as well as managing my diet the rest of the time, I am still going to be experiencing this thing where I am genetically driven to want to eat more because my appetite is greater. Once you know and understand that, then you can start to resolve it. You can start to solve the right problem. So if I tell you that of the three macronutrients, carbs, fats, and protein, protein has the highest satiety rating of the three. That's why a diet rich in protein is will give you more physical satisfaction. Maybe not mentally, because people get very bored of just eating protein. But you can mix it up. It doesn't just have to be a diet completely orientated around protein. If you introduce something as simple as a protein shake, as an afternoon snack, taking a look at times of the day where you are most hungry, right? For most people, it's the couple of hours leading up to dinner time. So you could say, right, at two o'clock every day, I'm going to have a protein shake with me at work or wherever, and I will measure out enough so that I am getting 40 grams of protein from that shake. Two o'clock every day, I'll mix it with some water, I will drink it, and that will take me to dinner time. Now, if you think about what someone might do the rest of the time, let's come back to the crisps. You know, let's, let's think of... Let's think about my hospital. God, when my wife was pregnant with my second son, I remember doing big stories in the hospital about the, about the vending machines. They were full of what most people would describe as junk food. Even though these banks of uh, vending machines had like recharge, refresh and re-energize or something like that. And it was just crisps and chocolate from top to bottom. You know, and it made me think about conversations I'd had with nurses in the hospital and a couple of them that had become members, you know, talking about the expense of things in the canteen, the, how easy it was to grab things from the the vending machines. Anyway, going off on a tangent then. But, you know, imagine an afternoon. It's still a few hours to dinner time. You've still got a few hours of your shift left to go. I'll just grab something from the vending machine. I'll just grab a packet of crisps and a twirl. In your 350 calories for a snack. That has done almost nothing. Tasted great. It was fun to eat. The chocolate was amazing. The crisps tasted great. But I'm still ready for my dinner. And you could have replaced that with a protein shake, right? Now, a protein, a protein shake is a great delivery method of protein. It's very efficient. There's four calories in a gram of protein. So if you're getting 40 grams worth of protein from a protein shake, 
it would probably come out like on paper, 40 grams of protein should be 160 calories exactly. But it, cha- it's, it it doesn't work out like that because the places that we get protein from, they don't just contain protein. If we're getting it from meat, then there's fat involved. Um, with a protein shake, there will be like a tiny little bit of fat and a tiny little bit of carbohydrate. So 40 grams of protein from a shake, make, instead of coming out at 160 calories, maybe it's 180 or 175 but it makes it a very efficient source of protein and a great solution to hunger, especially because of the number of flavours that they come in now. I love my salted caramel ones and my sticky toffee pudding ones um, on the occasions that I do have them, which are few and far between these days. But that would be a great solution for someone that does that is genetically predisposed to want to eat more. To feel hungry more frequently than otherwise health, you know, otherwise healthy people, healthy individuals do. But there's just such a lack of education around it. And then when these people want to try and lose weight, it's very difficult. Because if someone is already experiencing high levels of hunger, how does that person then eat less? in an effort to lose weight. And this isn't just limited to people that have these kind of genetic differences. This is how everybody deals with weight loss. You know, if I come back to my first example, like someone that has a nutritionally imbalanced diet, a low quality diet. In that instance, if the only thing that person tried to change was to just eat less, their hunger levels would go through the roof. Because at the moment, as I said, you know, I'm already having 3,500 a day just to get by each day. That's 1,000 a day more than I need. And you have to remember that when you do reduce your calories, you know, this is something I try to remind people of. You know, when people come to work with me, it's not because they're maintaining their weight. It's because they're gaining weight. So if, let's say someone's calorie burn is 2,000 and they are consistently gaining weight, because they are having more than 2,000 and we try to work to like 1,500 calories to help them lose weight. They're not just eating 500 calories less. Yes, they're eating around 500 calories less than they need, but they've not been having what they need. They've been having more than what they need. They're not going from 2,000 to 1,500. They're going from 2, 2, 2, 3, 2, 4, 2, 5 down to 2,000. And if it's already taking you that level of calories to fill yourself up on a daily basis, how will you ever be able to stick to 1,500? It, you can't. I've probably said this on here before. You cannot scale a weight loss diet up because you would explode. You cannot scale a weight gaining diet down because you would be starving. And this is where the you know this is why we talk about lifestyle change and making long lasting changes to your diet. No, you do not need to be in a calorie deficit forever, and no, dieting does not need to be sustainable because if you sustained a deficit, you would eventually die. Oh man, that should be a topic for another one. Should dieting be sustainable? No. Dieting doesn't need to be sustainable. It needs to be it only needs to be sustainable for as long as we need to do it. 
it's such a short-sighted question people ask when they say, oh, can you see yourself doing this forever? You don't need to see yourself doing it forever. Why would you, why would you need to do something forever in order for it to help you achieve a short-term goal? Anyway, definitely a topic for another episode. But yeah, when we talk about making lifestyle changes, you know, we're not just talking about making a temporary change in order to drop some weight to go back to normal again. We are talking about developing a deeper understanding of how our bodies work, gaining an education in how energy balance works and how our, you know, the reasons behind why our weight goes up and down. Develop, you know, this is what I do with everyone I work with. That's why education is such a key part of everything that I do from the minute someone joins and starts watching the welcome video and works through the kind of the welcome pack, they're already starting to learn more than they ever have done about nutrition. And we're also putting a lot of the myths to bed. On top of that, you know, we post daily posts every single day covering a crazy amount of topics between my coach Louise and I. And then at each of their fortnightly check-ins, like I've I've done a bunch of check-ins today. Two or three of them ran into the 35 minute mark because, you know, as I was reading through their check-in, there were so many opportunities to educate and inform and enlighten and help that person no longer think nonsense that they used to believe. Okay, here's this thing that you've been talking about. Let me just explain that a bit more to you to, to not correct them but correct the thoughts that they have around it. Here, this is probably a thing that you've heard in the past when you were at Slimming World or Weight Watchers or whatever it was. Here's the correct information and going deep into that. Education is so vital. And this is why talking about things like this and genetics, like so much, so much blame and focus is placed on the external when the role of these things, we can, we can, How do I want to phrase this? The involvement of genetics is minor in terms of the things that we can do to overcome them, right? So let's say that someone does have obesity, but they have a terrible diet as well. So they have a terrible diet, plus they're hungry all the time. They don't function Um, normally in terms of their hunger and satiety signals. There There are countless things that person can then do to improve that. There are so many, basically everything that I already do with my clients, I could start doing with them, plus adding in some extras like, like I've just said, you know, identifying certain times of the day where you experience the most hunger. Yes, you've just had your lunch. Yes, your dinner's coming up in a couple of hours, but you are starving mid afternoon. Let's throw a protein shake in there. Make sure it's one that you really enjoy the taste of. And let's solve that temporary hunger in between. So yeah, it's your genes are not your destiny. Um, There's nothing you can do about them. But with a bit of problem solving and the right help and and developing a deeper understanding of yourself and your kind of... Your kind of habits and needs and wants each day and then implementing things at each of these that's what problem solving is I don't know if I've spoke about it 
before, but that's what I do every day. I'm a creative problem solver. We do a check-in, we talk about a bunch of stuff, they let me know things that they're struggling with, and then I start I work with them to come up with solutions. And anyone can do that. So, do genes play a part in what was the word in? Find it again. Do do genetics play a role in weight loss? Yes, they can play a role. They are just not. They're not the lead singer, right? They're a backup dancer. Um, they're not directly controlling your weight, but they will certainly influence the things that dictate your weight. And that's a beautiful segue into medication and how medication does the same thing. So there are many medications where weight gain is listed as a side effect. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is that I've been talking recently with many people about handing over the responsibility of our weight over to the external blaming external factors. The reason that my weight is where it is is because of that. And it, it, so it, it, it creates this kind of disconnection between our choices and the things that we are doing and the direction that our weight goes. Because ultimately, your weight goes in the direction that you choose, whether you realise it or not. Nobody sets out to intentionally gain weight. You don't wake up saying, do you know what, I am going to pile on the pounds today. We don't do that. Instead, we make choices and decisions that lead to that outcome. Medication is very similar to what I was saying with genetics. So, an easy one, steroids. Steroids will list weight gain as a side effect. Now, it is not because the minute you start taking steroids you pile on a bunch of muscle or your body just starts creating fat out of nothing, steroids can influence your appetite. So if someone starts taking steroids for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I do know that my younger brother had um, asthma quite badly when he was younger and when it got particularly bad, he was given courses of steroids to try and fix these kind of respiratory issues. So let's say it's someone with respiratory problems and they've been given a course of steroids or maybe you've got a skin condition, right? Steroids are used to clear up a skin condition. However, you might gain some weight. Not because the medication is making you gain weight, but because part of what steroids do in the body might be to increase your appetite. And if it increases your appetite and then you start to snack more or you start to eat more, or, you know, you start snacking between meals, maybe you're eating late at night. It's the introduction of these extra calories and these new habits. Because if that then leads to you consuming more calories than you need, then you will gain weight. So you can see how there's an indirect link between that, right? It is not directly controlling the direction of your weight. It is playing around with internal forces that control the direction of your weight. Um, antidepressants will list, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, they will list weight gain as a side effect. Now this one can go a bit differently. Sometimes it can lead to weight gain, sometimes it can lead to weight loss. It 
depends on how you respond. So let's say that you are someone that when you have, when you're experiencing low mood, maybe you don't feel like eating. So you start taking these new um, antidepressants. They make you feel a bit kind of sedated. I remember the first ones I ever took. I felt like a zombie. Um, I felt very slow, like I was going in slow motion. I did not want to eat anything. I didn't want to do anything. And that's the other angle I want to come at it from. So let's say you start taking this medication and it affects your energy levels. You don't feel like you have as much get up and go. You start looking for more opportunities to sit down. If someone was monitoring your energy expenditure, your calorie burn, they would see a dip in it. So you could have someone that starts taking a new medication and they become much less active than they are. Then is it doing anything to their appetite? Is it making them hungrier? Is it making them is it reducing their appetite? Is the reduction in activity meaning that the person is sat down, they're feeling kind of bored, maybe their thoughts are turning more towards food? And maybe they're going to spend more time eating, not because it's done anything to their appetite, but because they're feeling tired all the time and maybe looking for an energy boost and they're turning to food for it. And then there is actual the actual side effect of weight gain. Um, if we think of things like the, the pill. What's the word I want to use for that? Contraception? Yeah, it's a contraception, right? The contraceptive pill, there we go, that's what I was looking for. If we think of the pill, the pill can massively influence fluid retention. I've worked with quite a few people who have been, they've had a goal of um, falling pregnant, right? So they'll join, we'll work together and they'll start to lose, they want to lose weight, they want to achieve a healthy BMI to give them the best chances of fertility and a healthy pregnancy. So we'll work together for some time, they'll lose some weight and then the time will come where they come off the pill and they're ready to start trying for a baby. I have seen some crazy drops in people's weight from coming off the pill. Sometimes I've seen it not do anything at all. I mean, generally speaking, when people start to take the pill, their weight will increase. But as the body gets used to it, then it generally goes down again, the fluid retention. But then there are people who take the pill, they retain more fluid than usual, and it just never goes away. Until the day where they stop taking the pill. And honestly, I have seen some, not many, but I have seen some of these people's weight just go whoosh. And it's nothing to do with losing fat at all. It's just water weight that's left the body. Anyway, yeah, there are, there are, of course, medications that will influence your weight through fluid retention. So I guess, I guess the kind of point I want to get across here is that regardless of what else is going on, regardless of external factors, taking medication, genetics, whatever, it ultimately always comes back to energy balance. Calories in and calories out. Now, while that is a simple equation and while it's as simple as if you have more than you need, you will gain weight. If you have less than you need, you will lose weight. It can be more complex, okay? It's 
it's an oversimplification to say that you know your weight is just calories in and calories out it is far more complex than that and there are many different ways to achieve calories in calories out but having an awareness of potential stumbling blocks shall we say um around things like medication or if we're talking about you know genetics as well once you start to develop that deeper understanding of yourself and actually take the time to consider you know, and, and start coming up with right solutions to the right problems and when i say that i mean you know if let's just say i start working with someone who is obese and they want to get their weight under control and we start working to the balance of nutrition i encourage and their hunger levels come down their energy levels increase and their weight starting to come down right and we're 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 going through the check-ins every couple of weeks and things are going great but we're talking about you know we're we're getting past the kind of 2 4 6 8 week point and motivations not as high as it was in the beginning it's not as exciting and then that's when we really start to get into it like oh here was a situation where i missed my breakfast and then i was super hungry at this time so i did this and then that threw me off for the rest of the day that's when we really get into helping with the kind of mindset and lifestyle changes so in that instance you'll be like right if you ever find yourself in this situation again here is what I think you should do. Here would be a great way to resolve that. We can't change the past, but we use the past to change the future. And as you start to learn more about yourself, more about your eating habits, more about the way that you think and act and feel around food, combined with these kind of creative problem-solving moments so that you know, rather than doing what you normally do in that in that instance, you now have a default list of three, four, five, six things that you can do in its place. So yes, there are these genetic factors that are working under the surface and driving certain forces that influence your weight. But you absolutely you you can do more with your actions than they can. you can have a much greater influence over your weight than these kind of genetic undercurrents. And the majority of that comes down to making these, first of all, getting an education in real-world nutrition, not made-up fairy tale, slumming world, Weight Watchers stuff. And then spending time getting to know yourself and getting to understand your habits and starting to bring balance to your diet i mean if someone if someone does have obesity and they start to make improvements to their diet let's just say this person needs 3000 calories a day and they're having 4000 and then let's say i start working with them for a while let's say they join my group and i start working with them now we address the balance of their diet and we get them to a point where they are able to get by each day on the 3,000 calories that they need. That is a huge step in the right direction. No, we're not helping them lose fat yet. But fuck me, we've, we've stopped them from gaining weight. We have put the stoppers on weight gain simply from making some changes to their diet. Remember, there there is a huge middle ground between 
gaining weight and losing weight. And people forget that. It's, it's so incredibly overlooked. Remember, your issue is that for people listening to this, right, it's probably people that are trying to diet, yo-yo dieted for most of their life, right? Your issue is not that you have weight to lose. Your issue is that you do not know how to not gain weight, right? You repeatedly find yourself in a position where you have weight to lose. Now, the solution to weight gain is not weight loss. The solution to weight gain is the opposite of weight gain. Mm, no, that's not quite. I mean, it depends on what you think the opposite is. What is the opposite of gaining weight? Not gaining weight. Nah, the opposite is losing, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> Going from not gaining weight to maintaining your weight, that is a huge step in the right direction. And that would be a great first stepping stone. You know, because if you've been spending the last six months gaining weight and you find something that helps you stop doing that, then fuck me, you've already won a watch. Then after that, you can start to make the changes to get things going in the opposite direction. Anyway, your genes are not your destiny. You can have a much greater impact through your actions and your choices than these kind of undercurrents that are going on and and trying to tip things towards an unhelpful balance. So yeah, I hope that's been helpful. I don't have anything else to say on the topic. This is a nice brief one. Normally I'm on the an hour mark. Actually, it's not intentionally. I just I seem to end up talking for an hour each time. <laughs> so I hope this has been helpful. As ever, reach out to me if you would like to talk about any of this. Jason at MonroeNutrition.com. I don't hand that out to anyone. Nobody gets that. That's my personal email address. I'll never put it on here. So if you do want to get me directly, jason at munronutrition.com. Reach out to me on Instagram. Reach out to me in the group on the Daily Post if you've listened to any of these episodes. Let me know if you enjoyed it, if it was helpful. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories. Tag me. Um, The more people that can hear things like this that add value to their day instead of the stuff that just detracts from the value of our day um the more people we can help so thank you for listening as ever and i will see you again in two weeks time